I might have been thinking about that. So we're going to start a new series today called Healthy. And what I'd like to do is uh, start by turning to the verse that Erica just mentioned. That's in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. So if you've got an an app on your phone or you've got a copy of the scripture, feel free to turn there. We're going to do a little bit of turning through the scripture today. Uh, If you use the Bible app or or Bible.com, we do offer a read through the Bible in a year program um, where I post a comment on, on that. Um, every day, every day of the year. And uh, we keep emailing and on social media. We put the link out so that that's available to you. Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read verses 16 through 21. Before we do, I'll just give you a little bit of context of where we are um, at in this letter. So, <clears throat> Paul is writing a letter to believers that he knows in the city of Ephesus. And there are a couple of people that are here. We've done a series in the past on the whole letter and talked a lot about the city's history and what's going on politically, what's going on. Uh, the city had gone through earthquakes and like the town had literally been put into rubbles from earthquakes that had gone through invasion by raiding groups of people that have come in and, and brought destruction. And so families and, and small business people uh, really had had a rough go of life. And there was um, ethnic tension that make even the current climate in the United States look easy. Um, there was real violence. There were people doing violence to each other because they looked different, because they sounded different, because they came from different places. And so life in Ephesus was not easy. And we, we actually see the story of how faith in Jesus Christ had started in Ephesus in, in the account that Dr. Luke wrote for us, which is called Acts. So in your Bible, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in that kind of later section. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And in Acts, we see the beginning of the story. And it started, they were, in Ephesus, they were a spiritual people. They liked to, they had public forums, a, a part of their entertainment, because, you know, they didn't have streaming entertainment at that time. A part of their entertainment was open discussions and debate and dialogue, and, and they liked questions. And so today, uh, in response to this verse, we're actually going to focus on four questions. Um, and that would have been very common thing. They would love, they would come, if there was, if they knew that something like this was going on, where there was a spiritual conversation going on, where there could be discussion, they would come in droves. Now that's the opposite of our culture now. We like to stay in our holes with our streaming devices, which I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that per se. It's just a different cultural thing that's going on. And so they love to debate. They love to discuss. And, and faith in Jesus Christ had begun and they had had struggles. They had been difficulties. And so Paul writes a letter to them. And we have it in our current modern form in six chapters. Divided 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Paul really spoke in Greek paragraphs. Thematically. And the letter is really um, divided into two halves. Talking halves. Yeah, halves. Talking about faith in Jesus and this life in Jesus, almost like a verb. The first half of the letter, really talking about the state of being. What is this state of being? How, how is it that now I have identity and being a follower of Jesus, and, and how is it as a state of being? It, it, the second half of the letter is talking about the action, the reasonable response, the things that we would do in response to the love of Jesus. That's how the letter breaks down. 
And I think it's helpful to us, especially if Christianity is a religion to you and your interaction or your understanding of it, to read Ephesians to help you in see a transition from a state of being to actions. And also, because certainly what we do matters, but who we are is more important. That was good, I'll say it again. Certainly what we do matters, but who we are is more important. And so this passage that Erica just read to us is lifted from the concluding thoughts as Paul starts to transition from this culmination of this emotional and spiritual and profound truth and transformative things about who we are in our relationship with God because of Jesus. And so that's where we come in in this letter. I hope that that's helpful. So um, Ephesians chapter 3, verses uh, 16 through 21. So summarizing, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees. Oh, and I'm reading from the New Living today. When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything on heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you or give you the ability with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to zero in, focus on this phrase, made complete. Now, uh, most older English translations render it filled with the fullness of God. And starting this series, I want to bring us into context of what the people to whom he was writing would have obviously understood. All of the warm, gooey stuff in the first three chapters would have been like plucking a string of guitar resonating a note with them of some truths that they already understood and that I find that most of us don't. So we need a little bit of context in what we're talking about. Made complete, filled with the fullness of God. And here's our central thought. Through God's love, we can be healthy. If you've been tracking on the Read Through the Bible in a Year posts, I've been writing a lot this year about being healthy. It's The Scripture is full of it. And, and what we're going to talk about 
We see countless stories in the scripture and in human history of people that understood this, that it resonated with them, that it was the way that they were able to do life. And most certainly, Ruth is a notable example. Esther is a notable example in scripture. And and certainly, Deborah couldn't have done what she did in scripture without it. And and Mary and Martha and, and on and on down the list it goes. And certainly, Moses and David wouldn't have recovered from both having committed murder if not for some kind of transformative life-giving experience with God where they, they, they there was life after murder that they found and, and Joseph and, and uh, David and, and Solomon and on throughout the scripture we see that and, and, and I, I find in the reading the writings of others whether it be Dietrich Bonhoeffer, St. Augustine, uh, uh, Corey Tin Boom, uh, the, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. certainly wrestled with this. These are issues that are central tenets of our faith that are transformative and yet we hardly ever talk about. And we certainly have a shallow understanding of. So let's go on a journey together. Okay, you're not totally interested yet, so let's define healthy. Healthy uh, would be to say free from disease or pain. Enjoying well-being of body, mind, and spirit in a good state, uh, sound, whole, hearty, robust, lively, vital, not sick or injured, weakened, run down, or worn out, good for you and, and others, not, not destructive or weakening to self or others. You see, when I receive the love of God by repenting and turning to faith in Jesus, I will find a new spiritual life, and then I will respond by loving God and others with all I've got. That brings me to a place of spiritual health. Spiritual, A, a healthy spiritual life is at peace with God, at peace with self, and at peace with others. That That's actually what the Bible word righteousness means. In right standing with, in right relationship with, in a healthy relationship with God, with self, and others. And, and that is a helpful explanation, I think, because we get this scripture that says, though the kingdom of God is not about what you eat and drink, but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy. And this definitely connects with what we've been talking about this year, like you, the, the, the phrases that you might hear most often in this church when we try to define God's love as being distinct from human love is that it's a love that gives. Yes. And, and this year we took 10 weeks to answer the question, how can a home bring peace to a neighborhood? And we looked, unpacked the shalom peace of God and, and what that means. And, and that means that it, there's not an inadequacy. There, no, no one part or person of a complex thing is lacking. There is, it's not just quiet, there's a vibrant life. There is a, an order to things, sure, but there is a loving, beneficial relationship that's going on. And, and what I think is helpful, just by way of explanation before we dive into this, is that a healthy spiritual life is where I don't need to get something or to prove something to be at peace about who I am. I don't need to get something. I don't need to prove something to find fulfillment in life or to enjoy relationships with God or with others. I don't need to get something from you to enjoy relationship with you. I don't need to prove something to God in order to be at peace with who I am or enjoy my relationship with God. Am I going too fast? Okay. Healthy spiritual life is going to benefit 
God? Well, that sounds weird. It's true. When you have a healthy spiritual life, it benefits God, it benefits yourself, and it benefits other people. Bet you never thought of it that way before. This is an essential and necessary part of the dream of this church. In September, we're going to start to talk about the dream of this church, and what is it, and why are we here, and what the heck are we doing, and where do we want to go, and what do we want to be, and, and, and how, how is this going to look? This is an essential, integral part of the dream of this church. How else are we going to live like Jesus and share his love? How else are we going to be a safe place to find and follow Jesus? Oh, man, I don't know about all this. <laughs> okay, let's start. let's start in the shallow end. Part one, salvation. God's love is a gift to you. God's love is a gift to you. So I want to, let's wrangle for just 10 minutes with four questions. Are you ready? I'm going to go fast. Where did we come from? Well, I think the Bible is perfect in its revelation of Jesus and the redemptive story that God has always been at work at in human history. So in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. He said, let there be light. Verse 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. As the story continues, one of the things that's very important for us to understand when we look at the question, Where did we come from? We came from a personal, loving God who was not insecure, who did not create us to fulfill some need that he had. It's just wrong thinking. And just to summarize some deep biblical concepts, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I think what you find in the way that Jesus described it, John chapter 1 and John chapter 17, is that... The Godhead, the Trinity, they were present at the beginning of creation. They shared among each other. When you read the scriptures and think about it, they shared among each other love and respect for each other. They shared among each other love and service to each other. They shared among each other relationship with each other. God is a personal God, a God of relationship. He did not create us because he was insecure and he needed someone to say, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good. That's what we want our kids to do. Oh, sorry. No, God was whole, was complete, was at peace. God created us to share with us the good that was already occurring. And I think that what was going on in the garden before the mistake is really revelatory to us about how God wants things to be. No separation in relationships, no death, no disease, no pain. No struggle, no curse of the toil of labor and the thorns on the ground. None of that. This is how God originally designed it to be. This is 
what God wanted. So what conclusions do we draw from this? Well, God created you and saved you because He loves you. You are a child of the one true living God, full of love. God who is in control. You are created in His image. And this is why we believe that the isms are evil. Racism, sexism, male chauvinism, abuse in relationships, abuse of other people is evil because it is, it is contrary to the fact that we are all created in his image. And Peter wrote, God's not willing that any should perish. So whether somebody is in still a stinker state or they're redeemed, either way, God loves them. God seeks that they would respond to his love. And so when I put somebody else down, and think about all the scandals that we have seen this year, right? All the people of power, regardless of, of what part of power they have been, there'd be institutional racism and 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 and, and real estate crimes and housing things that shouldn't be happening or sexual abuse and, and, and any amount of using another, degrading another, valuing yourself more than another, that is evil. Yes. It is an affront. Now listen, uh, we might perpetuate that wrong because we have been hurt and hurt people hurt people. But God gives us a way to repent of it, to confess, to say what was wrong, to ask for forgiveness, to to seek amends and reconciliation, and to put it right and to live right. Very important foundational truth. And we find that when we go to the beginning of the story. Question two, why did things go so wrong? And now you're thinking, this is a little fast. Hey, it's okay, listen. The audio and the notes from today are going to be up at cityharborchurch.com slash messages. You can share it. You can re-listen to it. Why did things go so wrong? Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. This is, Pastor Rebecca was referring to this earlier today. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. She's already drifting from what God actually said. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, uh, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together. don't know how you do that to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the the Lord God among the trees. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So what happened? Our ancestors, we chose to 
break relationship with God, covered up and hid. But God sought us. Now, sin and our mistakes has pretty severe consequences. It brings relationship, it brings separation to relationships. It breaks relationships when we wrong each other, when we act out of the healthy order of how the relationship should work, when we devalue the other. We're going to talk about that more later. We are in need of a help to remove our guilt and restore our relationship with God and others. What will put things right? I'm going to turn to Romans. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. I was going the wrong way. Okay. Romans chapter 3. Picking up verse 22. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Chapter 4, verse 25. He was handed over to die because of our sin. He was raised to life to make us right with God. That was the purpose of his death and his resurrection. Chapter 5, verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. This is... What Paul was writing about in Ephesians 2, in coming into an experience with the love of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, has made a way for our guilt to be removed and our relationships to be restored. This is good news. And we'll clarify more in future weeks, but I want to be very clear about this. This is not, hey, accept these mental ideas and then behave better and you'll be all right. No, that is not what we believe in this church. This is not therapy. This is not come do these things and you will be of greater value. This is not do this and then God will accept you. No, that's pretty much every other religion. The following of Jesus is, look what Jesus has done for you. Accept him as Savior and believe that you have life already because of it. And you're there. And from there, it's... Love is a verb. It's a state of being and actions that result as a thank you to God. Not to get anything from God or prove anything to God. God's love is not based on those things. And when we, for whatever reason, relate to God that way, we are relating to God through legalism and religion when He paid the price and did everything so that we can relate to Him through grace. 
let us not trade a substitute. Something twisted, something evil, something a counterfeit. When Jesus has made a way, it is good news of what has already been done for you. Number four, how can I be put right? Jesus himself in John chapter 3 spoke of being born again. Man, if you are feeling dry, if you are feeling hurt, if you are feeling life is tough, go back and just read the words of Jesus. John 3, just go back to John 3. Read what he actually said and peel off and chip away and get rid of all the extra stuff. We allow human thought to pile onto and complicate the truth of Jesus. It's actually very simple. Through Jesus we can be born again. And Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says that we are born again. Very important phrase. When we believe. God has already done it. You don't do it because you're strong. It doesn't happen because you're stronger because you chose God. You don't, don't take credit for it. It's not because of anything good that you have done. It's a gift that God gives to you and it requires a response. Jesus said, repent or you will perish. In fact, the way John records it, it is the thing he said the most. Repent or you will perish. So, a response from us is imperative. It, it requires a response from us. And I submit to you that good spiritual health is not going to come to you without these truths that we very briefly walked through. I want to encourage you with this. Look at the verse on the screen from Philippians. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to what? complete it. What we're going to be talking about is being made complete, being filled, the empty spaces, the broken spaces, the things that are hurting, the, where there's something, listen, anytime we are in unhealthy rhythms or un, un, are victim to temptation and making mistakes and seeking, I got to get to an altered state so I can feel right about myself. I need to do this thing to self-medicate. Anytime there's some brokenness that's going on underneath it that God doesn't want you to live with anymore. He wants to bring healing to. He wants to give you freedom from. He wants to bring you a peace in your spirit so that you no longer feel the need to get something or to prove something in your relationship with yourself, in your relationship with others, in your relationship with God. God wants to bring healing to it, real spiritual health. And the beautiful thing about it is that the heavy lifting is not up to you. It is God who does the heavy lifting. Before you accepted Christ as Savior, it was God the Holy Spirit who was drawing you. That's what he's talking about in this verse. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It does not absolve us or release us from our responsibility in our response to him, but it does mean that the heavy stuff is not up to us, that he is going to help us. My response to God determines my health. It will shape my state of being and my actions. Our understanding of these truths is directly linked to our spiritual good health. Directly linked. Through God's love, we can be healthy. When I receive the love of God by repenting and turning to faith in Jesus, I will find new spiritual life. 
then I will respond by loving God and others with all I've got. A healthy spiritual life is at peace with God, with self and others, no longer feeling the need to get something or to prove something, to be at peace about who I am, to find fulfillment in life, or to enjoy relationships. Will you stand with me? We'll close in prayer this morning. Thank you for a few extra minutes of your time today. Sorry, we're a little bit over. God, these truths um, are not always easy to understand, and it's not always easy to understand how we should respond. And Lord, at times we've been around your word and around meeting with your people for a long time, and we drift into complexity away from the simplicity of your truth and the beauty of what you have already done for us and the life-changing truth that your love is forever, that your love is giving, that your love is not based on how our week was, but you freely give your love to us. God, you've been forgiving people for thousands of years. You've been loving people for thousands of years, and we thank you for who you are. May we today and this week experience the love of Jesus. Dig into these truths and these scriptures. May we dig into it and experience the love of Jesus in a way that is a transformative experience, in a way where we start to feel you making us complete. God, we thank you for who you are and for all that you've done. In the name of Jesus, amen.